Hey everybody, welcome to episode 107 of the MTG Grindcast, the Spike Use podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me as always, Collins Mullen. Hey Collins. What's up Chris? Not much, this is a weird episode we're doing today. Oh, it's an exciting episode we're doing today. I don't know that we've ever done an entirely legacy-focused episode before. Um, I I don't think so. I think that we've definitely like had ep- legacy sections in the past, mm-hmm. but nothing completely dedicated to legacy. Yeah, yeah. But we are both in the legacy seat for Richmond this weekend. Yes, we are. I I'm teaming up with my younger cousin and one of his friends. Nice. So we're gonna go have fun. Yeah. But we're I don't think we're completely concerned with like converting this into a top eight so we can you know put me in the legacy seat and not no really expectations worry about... just having fun yeah perfect so i'm, I'm yeah. pretty pumped about that you are in the legacy seat with a pretty stacked local team yes indeed i'm teaming with jeremy and lee yep so it should be very fun i am i'm gonna be playing legacy for them and yeah i'm super excited i've been testing a lot for the past like two weeks you have every time yeah. i've like walked in the door you have yeah. been jamming legacy yeah. and the, it's been a running joke now because uh, Rossum's been staying with us for the past couple of days, and he yeah. keeps on coming into our like computer area, and he's like, Collins, you never move. You're just sitting here only playing Legacy. It's a different deck every time I come over. <laughs> yep, you're just at your computer jamming yeah. away. Yeah, yeah, it's been great. So I really appreciate that, too, because yeah. I do not have the time or format knowledge to optimize a legacy deck. Sure. So having yeah. you tell me this is the list to play yeah. and yeah. here are some sideboarding general guidelines is really helpful. Yeah. So great. So I, I am here to say I appreciate you having <laughs> I appreciate having you in the corner jamming a lot of legacy. Yes. Well great. Yeah. It's my natural habitat. So yes. it's fine. I'm glad to see you right where you belong. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, before we get too into it, want to thank our new patrons. Want to thank Jeremy M. Trevor C, Sam G, Billy M, and Josh C. Of course, we appreciate all of our patrons equally, but really appreciate Philip Marshall, one of my oldest and like closest magic friends. Is he a patron now? Yeah, he is a patron. <laughs> that now. makes me happy. So yeah, I'm for sure. Pretty pumped about Shout that. Shout out to Philip. Yeah. So we love all of you, but yeah. you know, but Philip more than Philip, everybody else. <laughs> uh, Philip's kind of the man. But but yeah. seriously, no. Yeah. Thanks thanks to everybody for supporting us. It makes our lives a lot easier when you show up and and give us some support and it really feels like we are putting something out there that people appreciate and it makes a huge, huge difference. And uh, we are getting stuff out as soon as we can. And so, you know, keep your eye on your mailboxes and you'll be getting some stuff. Oh, and as well, thanks to Nick for editing up your pledge. That is really cool. Definitely not expected at all, but uh, it is. It, it makes us feel pretty warm and fuzzy inside. So. It's nice. For Thank sure. you. So we're going to dedicate pretty much the entire episode to Legacy, yep. but we wouldn't be doing anybody any favors if we completely ignore what's going on in Standard and Modern. Sure. Yeah. Um, if you really want to know what's going on in Standard, basically every other competitive MTG podcast has focused on Standard this week. So if you want to go to arena decklist podcast or pro points or something like that we won't be too hurt uh, they're all talking standard what i have seen is a lot of scape shift a lot of vampires and then starting to pick up but i am not confident that this deck is good is that like blood sun lotus field yeah <laughs> nexus of fate deck yeah obviously the concept is that you're like kind of pre-boarded for Field of the Dead because you have Blood Zones in your deck, and then they also make your deck work, kind of. So it's a right. nice little 
two for one sort of thing. Yeah, it's a neat deck. It seems like so vampires has been the big talk of the town. Mm-hmm. Everybody all of a sudden fell in love with vampires, even though kind of nothing changed. <laughs> and I think that was because before that, Scapeshift was the biggest deck, and vampires was able to prey on that really well, mm-hmm. and that made vampires like overall win percentage really high. Pressure and post board duresses yeah. is a good combination for a fish deck in standard. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Um, and it has it does both of those things really well. Um, and now vampires kind of like shifted into the top, and I think that actually pushed out. Scapeshift, actually, I haven't seen a lot of that around recently, which mm-hmm. has been weird. And then I think that the next kind of evolution of that will be that uh, Esper Hero is going to make a little bit of a comeback. And I think we've already seen that a mm-hmm. little bit, at least yeah. in the like microverse of the MPL like split leagues. Yeah. So for the first eight, it was like six vampires decks or something like that. Right. Like six vampires and one scapeshift, and then Cuneo's like madman blue black, <laughs> like four legions and control deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then this most recent MPL league, the deck list came out and there were no vampires at all, and there were several Esper hero lists mm-hmm. and just kind of a more varied field. Yeah. That field was funny because everybody came to be super, super prepared for vampires. Just none. And nobody played it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everybody was prepared to beat it and nobody played it. So I, it must have been a pretty interesting tournament. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can't take too much from this because these are the benefit from calling your eight person metagame correctly in a tournament that size yeah, yeah, is yeah. extraordinary. And so that's what they're aiming for rather than just like, this is the best deck in standard positioning wise is yeah. like, they're looking at what every, what the other seven people have been playing consistently and are likely to show up with and what, you know, that sort of thing. So while this information is kind of interesting and useful from an idea of like what beats vampires, well, these decks that people showed up with, mm-hmm. it's also like they're playing a different format than we are kind of. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. From from what I'm hearing in modern is, you know, it's kind of the same old, same old. Hogak is everywhere. Yeah. Five copies in the top eight of the Grand Prix. Yeah. Um, the other decks that are doing really well, Burn and <laughs> yeah. and Monored Prowess. Yeah, Ryan Overturf, yeah. top eight of the GP. So yeah. congrats to him. That's very cool. Yeah, it was really cool to see that happen. Uh, I was talking to him a little bit about that deck in Columbus. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, yeah, I really like this deck. I've been having success with it. Um, yeah. And I told him I almost played it in Columbus, but it's, I opted to play Burn instead. It's definitely his baby. He's really into yeah. it. And he's particularly vocal about not playing Arclight Phoenix yes. in your mono red deck. And I think that that's just correct. Yeah. I think that, you know, people have kind of come around on that one. Is that it's just good too little of the time in that deck. And you can do other powerful, proactive stuff. Yep. Yeah. And Zan has been playing versions of the deck. Like he he's really into this style of deck and mm-hmm. has been playing very different ver- you know, his always has Ren and Six in it, but yeah. uh he has been playing with different versions of the deck and I know there's no Phoenixes in his current version. He's moved towards Dreadhorde Arcanist as another threat. The threat suite in the pure prowess deck still feels a little light to me. Yeah, you know, it is a little bit. Or nine one mana guys. They play guys the one yeah hybrid co- i don't remember what it's called blister coil weird yeah 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 and 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 bedlam reveler is like a little bit inconsistent and just like can you easily clunk up your hand and then if if your opponents understand what you're doing between faithless looting lava dart and four bedlam revelers like it's probably right for like jund to bring in their ley lines of the void against you yeah because if you can't cast bedlam reveler you might just not beat them. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really all in on that card for sure. 
So, because uh, then you only have eight creatures that can attack in your entire deck, and like, yeah, Jund can beat that. So okay. very easily for sure. And you just don't have the density of burn spells that you need to right. close out a game otherwise. So but yeah, uh, it seems like those are kind of like the like you know the red decks and Hogak are like mm-hmm. the two options right now in modern, which is a little strange, but um, weird for modern. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where modern's at, but kind of not focusing on it and kind of giving up on it until that Hogak ban comes in two weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think we can safely assume is going to happen, so. But yeah, that's, you know, that's a brief summary of Standard and Modern. Yeah, they're both formats that I've kind of lost a little bit of interest in, so great we get to focus on Legacy. Yeah, for sure. Do you want to... Where to begin? Could we start with sort of an overview of the format? Yeah. So, you know, I have my understanding of Modern, which is like the main pillars of the format are Mm -hmm. we've got... Big mana decks, graveyard decks, mox opal decks, yeah, like disruptive, aggr- aggressive creature decks, and then you know reactive decks that I'm never gonna play. Sure. And those are those are kind of like my main categories of decks in modern. Yeah. I was trying to like categorize the legacy decks, and I I don't know I don't have quite as good of a handle on it and i think that's kind of because the packages and legacy are a little more malleable you can shift around the the slots in your decks and stuff yeah but you know my understanding of like the main decks that are seeing heavy play right now okay. are you've got depths decks of a couple different varieties right and that fits in the lands category sure decks. okay yeah 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 and, and just in general yeah you have decks that abuse their lands not as much to get like a lot of mana now but more just, just to do for some the, broken lands yeah, thing. They either <laughs> yeah. value stuff or broken 2020s or whatever. Yeah. There's a lot of storm decks. I feel like I've been playing as a lot of storm decks yes. recently. And there are there's an kind of like an extra storm deck right now. Normally storm decks are there's two different storm decks that you mm-hmm. want to consider. There's ad nauseum tendrils, mm-hmm. which people refer to as ant. And then there's uh the epic storm, uh, which is uh Tess which is like a much lower to the ground. It plays both Infernal Tutor and Burning Wish. Um, and that deck's a little more explosive, but not as consistent. It doesn't play as many cantrips, and it's just trying to do something really powerful in the first like one or two turns of the game. Yeah, and not leaning as much on this sort of like thoughts ease you as I sculpt my hand yep. sort of game, really right. trying to go for it. And like it plays Mox Opal basically as Lotus Petal. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, but now there's also Eon Storm, which is uh, <laughs> Echo of Eons, um, which is the new flashback time twister. Yeah. And people playing that with Narset, and uh, it works really well with Lion's Eye Diamond because mm-hmm. you can just, you know, it, cast it off of Lion's Eye Diamond and you don't care about the cards in your hand because you're about to rip seven again. Yeah, it's just Black Lotus, basically. It re- yeah, it really is, for sure. So that's kind of, and it has a storm kill, so I guess it kind of technically fits in the storm category. It's like a little slower and like more controlly, plays a Narset. Right. It's combo um, rather than storming off is generally doing the Narset thing, and then it sure. has enough cards to storm off and kill you. Right, yeah. But that does make it like more resilient. You can Thoughtseize the hell out of them, and then they draw a Narset or something. And Right, yeah. And, you know, sometimes your Thoughtseizes don't even do anything, because if they have an LED in play, and eventually they draw into the Eons the what what is that card called is it echo, something echo eternity eons? echo eons something in there yeah. flashback time twister <laughs> yeah 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 so that was actually one of the difficulties that i've been having i've been playing a lot of thoughtsies and cabal therapy decks yeah 
And that deck is surprisingly resilient to that. So Yeah, I mean, it has a flashback time twister, so right. yeah. <laughs> that'll do it. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> yeah, draw seven. So then there are, okay. so, yeah. you know, we've got land-based decks, and in particular, like, depths-focused ones are, are, mm-hmm. are there a lot. We've got a lot of storm decks. Yep. Blue decks in general, and these there's like a huge range of just like brainstorm focused decks, and so certainly decks that play Delver of Secrets are different from the decks that don't play Delver of Secrets. Delver of Secrets decks are significantly more aggressive, tend to have days as part of their disruption package, and are trying to put you under a lot of pressure very early and use this kind of time limited disruption to keep your spells from working. And then there are you can go all the way up the grindy scale to like vast places with you know several jace the mind sculptors in your deck or deck full of baleful strixes and maybe i even played against grixis good old-fashioned grixis of colgan's commands and strixes and snapcaster yep. mages yeah huge range of mid-range blue decks yeah for sure yeah and so i think if you've got delver in there it probably counts as you know an aggro slash fish deck and if you don't have delver then it is its own category but then yeah. that category stretches out really large yeah all of those decks honestly are capable of running wasteland and ren and six and that's like a huge defining part of the format right now yeah um and then you have like kind of non-blue creaturey value decks and i kind of put like <laughs> maverick and death and taxes and sure honestly even nick fit like kind of into a mm-hmm. similar like maverick is like it's got lands elements in it as well yeah but it's also really creature heavy and has creature based disruption like gaddock teague and stuff like that right so like you know there's a lot of muddled definitions of decks in this yeah, format. Yeah, like muddled like categories. Me. Typically yeah. for me, I, like, if I'm playing against a Neither Reliquary deck, I'm, I, I call it a Neither Reliquary okay. deck, and then Death and Taxes is kind of like a separate entity. Yeah. There's a lot of overlap between those two decks, mm-hmm. but they play out pretty differently in right. my mind. So the Knight of, Knight of the Reliquary decks are definitely a big part of the field, and I think that they might actually be really well positioned right now with everybody trying to do things with, with Depths. Mm-hmm. Depths seems to be a super popular choice right now. Yeah, and if you construct your deck so you're not, you know, a lot of those Knight of the Reliquary decks have a Depths package in it, but yeah. it's kind of minimized because you have so much land tutoring, you don't have to run like four Dark Depths in your deck, Right. and then you can run like a lot of wastelands and a lot of ways to get those wastelands and then for the pseudo mirror you're very set up yeah um but so yeah those are those are the kinds of things you know the kind of categories of decks that we're seeing there's also like other combo decks Mm -hmm. so you want to so in that category i put elves okay and sneak and show and blue uh, black red reanimator okay that makes sense uh, those are like the you know the really fast combo decks that each are very different, <laughs> right? Uh, and, but they're just kind of fundamentally trying to do a very proactive plan by turn three or four. Yeah, um, at the very latest. So. Yeah, and then we probably should just talk about sort of like the biggest sea change to modern recent or to to legacy recently, which has influenced a lot of how these decks play out, which is a couple of new cards from Modern Horizons, which are just, like, meteors impacting the legacy <laughs> metagame. Yeah, Renin 6. Yep, Renin 6 is definitely having a huge impact. People are playing it in all sorts of stuff, mainly just blue mid-range piles. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are kind of sliding it into, like, the more aggressive um, end of the spectrum and trying to play just, like, Teamer, Delver. Mm-hmm. With Renin 6 as, like, a Wasteland package. Yeah. 
but then you know people are like wow Renin six is just a broken grindy card let's just play a broken grindy deck and then you know they're playing you know like four color piles that play Renin six i've seen both black and white teamer variants mm-hmm. um the the white version feels a little more like miracles with ren and six interesting which is kind of weird because it's, it's yeah it's kind of miracles yeah. splashing a, a red green it, honestly it, it just is yeah that yeah um and i think ren and six is just powerful enough to justify it um, and the crazy thing is once you put the ren and six in your deck you want to put a bunch of wastelands in there too so these mana yeah, bases yeah. are really kind of right. stretched to their they, limits. I think they play like an extra two lands that are just like wastelands. Sure. Um, That's how you got to do it, certainly. Right. But they're also playing like an extra two, whatever the blue cycle land is. And <laughs> so oh. all of a sudden their mana base is, yeah, it's it's wild. Yeah. It's wild. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, well, and this definitely explains how many back to basics I've seen in opponents' hands as I've cabal oh, yeah. read them. Oh, like, yeah. Back, seems... back to basics is as good as it's been in a long time, for yeah. sure. Um, because, yeah, because all these piles are mostly off basics. Because yeah. they're like, I just find if people are going to try to wasteland me, I'll have a, I'll try to play I'll a Get back a fetch land every turn. Right. Like, yeah. So then you end up in this weird Renin 6 fight or something where, like, one player realizes they have to start shooting down their opponent's run in six because they're not going to win the like land every turn the win in six mirrors are wild yeah in just any format yeah (laughs) yeah it's pretty crazy um yeah so run in six is doing a lot to the format by being a you know powerful value engine that starts at the beginning of the game honestly and so you you also see these non-blue decks that are running like mox diamond to just get out that red and six Mm -hmm. as early as possible seen it out of jund um yeah and it's in a lot of the maverick lists yep um so i haven't seen much lands lately it may just be that most of these red and six decks are like doing the powerful bits of lands anyways Mm -hmm. so there's not really a huge point to run it to devoting yourself to that concept yeah i've seen a little bit of lands mm-hmm. um I've, i think i've played against it maybe like two or three times mm-hmm. over the past two weeks which is very small considering um people love playing lands yeah oh yeah for sure um you know lands used to be a huge pillar um but i think that the, for the most part people realized that lands was doing a lot of cute things but fundamentally was just trying to dark depths people so people realize, oh, you just play like, you know, slow depths. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that deck I think is, has become the evolution of lands where, uh, you know, people used to mess around with things like, you know, Tabernacles and, uh, you know, Maze of Iths. It was like you were trying to hard lock your opponent out with all your lands. Mm-hmm. But the best draws of that deck were just 2020. You turn two depths them and right, yeah. kill them. So, you know, we just, now we have a deck that does that really consistently yep. and is like the slow depths version with like sylvan scryings and stuff yeah yeah cool that makes a lot of sense yeah and then but I, while we're talking about depths we should talk about so right now there's kind of a big debate going on between what version of depths is better because there's there's slow depths mm-hmm. which is you know just your normal stuff um and then there's hogak depths so slow depths plays cards uh it plays like sylvan scryings um and just like you know other ways of tutoring your your stuff but in in hogak depths it does something similar except for it plays Seder wayfinder mm-hmm. and hogak uh he's <laughs> everywhere yeah hogak is everywhere so there's this like weird combination of like a hogak shell it's got stitcher supplier and Seder wayfinder 
And then Seder Wayfinder kind of doubles as like a card that can find your your Dark Depths combo. Mm -hmm. So playing that deck is really weird because your entire plan is just completely predicated on your mulligan. It's just like well, what you end up with. It's like, right. oh, are we hooking people or are we depthsing people? It, it really, you know, the yeah, that overlap is like Seder Wayfinder and also that like, you know, crop rotation helps with either of the plans right. sort of. But yeah, it really does you do fundamentally different plans depending on what cards you have. It's it's kind of amazing. But somehow yeah. like it lines up and it gets it. You just as long as you mulligan kind of knowing how the deck yeah. works, it And the hand sculpting does so much. Mm -hmm. Because if you have like one card that's like off plan or whatever you just and you've it. mulliganed, you just out of here. Yep. I'm yeah. not on depths, I'm right. a pure Hogak. Like yeah. get this depths out of my hand. And another problem that these lands strategies have a lot is that they play a bunch of like bullet lands mm -hmm. that you want to crop rotate for, like Pajukabog, uh Sajiri Step, a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. And mulliganing with those makes it really good because you can put them back into your library which right it feels really nice especially with sujiri step <laughs> yeah, you, yeah you really want that card in your library right. drawing a sujiri step feels really bad i definitely had a point where uh i just needed to i i was waiting to make my 2020 uh before i knew that i could get through my opponent's path or uh swords, swords yeah. to power stairs and my hand and i had the combo on us like on the field i had Dark Depths and Thespian stage on the on the field, and I had four crop rotations in my hand, and the Sajiri step. <laughs> so I was like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> we just gotta chill." Yeah. Drawing step is fine if you only need it to get through Baleful Strixes, right? But when you need it to protect from from Swords of Plowshares, right. it is less good. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of frustrating, but. It's just part of it. And then you have yep. no way of, like, getting that back in your deck. Like, it's just... No, it's just... It's, it's just, just there, and yeah. you're, you're done. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm just gonna have to do this the hard way by uh, getting it sourced and then crop rotating and then making another one. But that Ugh. I have to draw a bunch of more lands before I can do that. It's yeah. the whole thing, yeah. That's a spot where Ren and Six would be pretty sweet. Get your get your combo back in the play. True, yeah. Dark Depths with Ren and Six. Mm, it was just lands. <laughs> yeah, that ends up just being lands <laughs> at that point, lands. kind of. Yep. But, you know, it's just one more color, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, because now I'm like, oh yeah, let's put Mox Diamond in there. And uh -huh. then, yeah, and okay. Just, and then maybe just... some more bullet cards, like Tabernacle. And right. I mean, yeah. um, one card that has been particularly impressive is Elvish Reclaimer. Yes, yeah. We, we should definitely talk about that card. Elvish Reclaimer is the reason why Depths is so popular right now, yep. in my opinion. And the reason why Hogak Depths works at all right honestly. yeah because you just have like another creature right. that you're that happy to play anyways. crop rotations as well right yeah crop rotation on a stick is very powerful um so if you don't know what elvish reclaimer is because you haven't been playing legacy sure. yeah um because it's not playable in limited it's not playable in standard nope <laughs> it's not playable in modern right it's, uh m20 rare one green mana for one two uh, it gets plus two, plus two if you have three or more lands in yep. your graveyard. So it's a three, four. So it becomes a three, four and has two mana, tap, sacrifice a land you control, uh, search your library for a land card, put it into play tapped. Yeah. So a little watered down crop rotation, but it's on an activated ability yep. of a one mana creature that you can use over and over and over. Yeah. And you'd be amazed at how many uh, times you just play it on turn one and then you make your land drops. Just any lands. Yeah. Just like, just like normal fetch lands and your opponent dies. You have no spells, and if your opponent doesn't kill your thing, you're going right. to kill them. It's just a turn four kill. 
Yeah. That guy on turn one, and then drawing three other lands that tap for mana is just your... And you have, you know, depths and stage in your deck, and your opponent's just dead. Yep. Um, and, you know, granted, that's really slow, and it's definitely too slow for some matchups, but, you know, Lightning Bolt decks, it's really nice against, because if you can, you know, just, like, make sure it's a 3-4 mm-hmm. as soon as possible, uh, it becomes a huge problem for yeah. your opponent. Yeah. We have been, we'll get into the Aluren deck that we've been playing quite a bit of. We've been sandbatting it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. We haven't mentioned it yet. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely spend a substantial amount of time talking about that. Yeah. But multiple times, I've seen you at the end of the game with a, an Elvish Reclaimer in play on the opposite side of the table, and you've been like, I really should have forced that. Yeah, yeah I should have just forced it in turn one. Yeah. yeah. Not close. <laughs> it is particularly yeah. good against the Aluren deck because it's a just grindy, play. creaturey deck, mm-hmm. and on its own, Elvish Reclaimer can put a 2020 into play and then put a Sajiri step into play to make it right. unblockable. Yeah. Yeah. And that is that specifically is is a really underrated element of the card where you get to make your 2020 and then still have a crop rotation left over mm-hmm. for your Sajiri step. And like a lot of the time before this card, you would make your 2020 and then you have to like sit around until you like draw your other, you know, tutor spell or whatever. Um but just like having that on a stick to be able to, you know, get through a Delver, get through a, um, yeah, a Strix or something. Strix, just kind of whatever it is. Yeah. Um, really nice. Yeah. The card has been really impressive and has kind of screwed up like my philosophy of like boarding against the deck because, you know, we were taking out Abrupt Decays and I'm like, that's just the best card in the deck against. Yeah. The Lauren deck that Especially we're when you're boarding out Abrupt Decays. You probably just can't afford to board them all out. Yeah. I, I think yeah. you got to keep in at least. You know, two Maybe like or something. Two. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so you have like six answers to it, which include your force of wills, which is kind of awkward. But <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about that a lot. And all right, so let's talk about the Aluren deck a little. Bit. Yeah. So the Aluren deck is what I primarily focused on making throughout all of last week, where I was like, Zan and I were like, okay, Aluren might be just great for this format, and we uh, should just kind of look at the lists and see what we see. So we looked at a lot, a bunch of the lists, and a bunch of the lists we didn't like because they were playing a bunch of wild, just cards. random cards, honestly, <laughs> just kind <laughs> yeah. of randomly selected yeah. legacy. Legal right? Cards. There's like a there's I don't even know the names of any of them, but there was a like ninja and there Yuriko, was like a, the tiger's shadow. Yeah, right. There's just a bunch of cards in there that just wasn't necessary to. Mm-hmm. What it turns out is a very uh, consistent and powerful combo deck in my mind. For people who don't know. Aluren is a four mana enchantment, uh, two and two green, um, and it says players may cast creatures with converted mana cost three or less without paying their mana cost and at instant speed. What an, what an insane period of magic design. Yeah. So the combo includes Cavern Harpy, which is another card I'm going to describe. <laughs> it's a blue and a black for a 2-1 flyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you must return a blue or black creature back to your hand. Yep. This is from the gating category of creatures from Plane Shift originally. Yes. Um, also, it has an activated ability of pay a life and return it to your owner's, its owner's hand. So, um, so the combo is that strange card, uh, with Parasitic Strix which is a 3-mana 2-2 two, two 
for two and a blue that says when this comes into play, if you control a black permanent. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of things going on here. Yep. <laughs> if you control a black permanent, drain your opponent for two. Yes. So you you have your your cavern harpy in play. You play your parasitic strix. It drains them for two. You pay one life to bounce your harpy, and then you can play your harpy. And this is all free because you have Aluren in play. Mm-hmm. And you play your harpy again, bouncing the strix. Yep. Drain, etc. And the way you find that combo, man, this deck is so complicated. I know. It's <laughs> yeah. beautiful. It's so good. The way you find that combo is by playing uh, like value creatures. And what used to be the case is that you played, there are a bunch of like wild cards that people played with Lauren. Mm-hmm. There's like this one five that digs five cards deep and or and something. Oh, yeah. Like one of, um, it was like a Kamigawa thing or something. Or maybe like that, that one bounced another card. There was Dreamstalker was yeah. the one. Yeah. One in a blue for a one five that bounces yeah. a permanent okay. to your hand. Right. Yeah. But you play Bail, you play Baleful Strix to the, it's just a cantrip. Mm-hmm. So, Bail, so, and then you also play the new Snow Baleful Strix. Ice Fang Quaddle. Uh, yeah. Ice Fang Quaddle, which is just the same card pretty much. Because another complication of the deck yeah. is it is the deck is very mana hungry. Yes. Because you have so many two mana value creatures and some three mana value creatures right. uh, as well. That's a bad spot to be if you're getting wastelanded all day long. Yeah. Fortunately, because of just kind of the mana cost of the creatures and the way that it works out, you can run five basics in your deck and you can just fetch those as yeah. long as you're careful about it. And yeah. you can pretty much cast all of your spells off of your basics. Yes. Yeah, you pretty much exclusively have basics in play for the first five turns of the game. Ideally, against a Wasteland deck. Yeah. Which, uh, if they have islands, I'm just assuming they're a Wasteland deck yeah, most of the time yeah. these days. Right. Um, wastelands are pretty prevalent. But, yeah. But the the good news is that you can just kind of ignore everybody's mana disruption these days by playing out your basics. And then, you know, and your basics are f- f- snow basics. Mm-hmm. So Ice Fang Quaddle typically has Death Touch. Which is nice. And not a lot of people play around Ice Fang Quaddle. You can really get some I've, get some people. I have <laughs> really just blocked some 5-6 Tarmac Glyphs with oh, it. Oh, very frequently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Just assuming that my opponent had a Lightning Bolt and that's why they were attacking with Tarmac Glyph into my open mana, but mm-hmm. they did not. Nope. And Just not thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah, who would? <laughs> I guess. Right. I've got three Snow Basics. Well, two Snow Basics and a Fetch Land usually. There, yeah, there you go. For sure. Um... But yeah, so uh, so that all of that is oh okay, and then one more card we have to talk about before we before we go into talking about the deck as a whole, which is going to be you know yeah. a little different and hopefully eye opening. The another card that they just printed um, that yeah. had a really big impact on this uh, deck is Watcher for Tomorrow. Yeah. So this is the new two one for two as Hideaway. So, originally a mechanic that only appeared on lands. Right. So Hideaway is uh, this permanent enters tapped. <laughs> Because they yeah. were lazy with templating and right. it was a land ability. Uh, yeah. Hideaway says that this permanent enters tapped, so your 2-1 comes into play tapped. Don't forget. And then uh, you look at the top four cards of your library, put one underneath the permanent, and then when that permanent leaves play, um, you get to put that card in your hand. Yeah. So Watch of Tomorrow works really well when you're comboing off. Because when everything's free, you get to play it for free, you dig four, and then you play your Cavern Harpy, bounce it to your hand, and then you get that card that you found, yeah. that you dug for. And so the, the way it works, if you don't have your Parasitic Strix in hand, which yeah. you often don't because you only play one because it's not a good card. Right. You play your Aluren, and then you use, you know, the reason that it runs several Cavern Harpies is because you can use Cavern Harpy and any of your value creatures 
that are all free because you have Aluren in play to dig way deep into your deck. Yeah. The way it worked before, your value creatures mostly dug one card. Yeah. Watcher for Tomorrow digs four cards. Yeah. So, you know, I've been on five life mm-hmm. and favored to find my Parasitic Strix because I yeah. have a Cavern Harpy and a Watcher for Tomorrow. It's just 16 cards. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So, so that's the deck. It also plays uh, three Cascade Guy. Shardless Agent. Shardless Agent. And, uh, but, so, we've been describing the deck a lot with the context of Aluren in play. Mm-hmm. Once Aluren gets in play, generally, you win. I'll go over the couple of contexts where you don't, because <laughs> sure. I've discovered a few of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you don't have any gas, and that's unfortunate. Yeah. But the way that the deck plays out normally is that you're just playing this kind of grindy value creature game. Yeah. All of your creatures are really good at buying time. You know, you've got a bunch of Baleful Strixes and stuff that block and everything. So it's really kind of tough to die to, like, a non-combo before turn four. Mm-hmm. And then against the combo decks, you have your Force of Wills. You also have Cabal Therapies. And with all of these creatures, Cabal Therapy is really nice because, you know, you play your creature, it draws you a card, and then you get to sack it to Therapy, which is great. After playing with the deck as you've got it built, Mm -hmm. it is mind-boggling to me that there were lists without Cabal Therapy. Yeah. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. It's with the, the new Watcher for Tomorrow... Yeah. The curve of Cabal Therapy you into Watcher for Tomorrow, sack it, get the card... You know, and now I've already seen your hand, I get to, like, really take something. Right. That curve is nice. It's nice. Yeah, and killing your Watcher for tomorrow is, like, really important to the concept of the deck. Like, turning that straight up into an impulse, because this is a combo deck. Yeah. A lot of times, and I mean, a lot of times it's not playing out as a combo deck, but you play your value game, use up resources, and then you get them. Yeah. And that means that a lot of the time it's really important that you get that card that you hit away under the Watcher for tomorrow. There is no better way of doing it than by flashing back a Cabal Therapy. Yeah. Sometimes I just, like, save the therapies in my graveyard right. for when I need to, like, really get a card from my Watch for Tomorrows. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, that's, that like, sandbagging the therapies is good, too, because, like, the deck does not care about Force of Will until it's trying to resolve Alluring. Yeah. So right. you don't need to therapy their Force of Will ever until it's time to go, and then you get all of them in one shot. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so the deck is really resilient and really good against any like any you know mid range deck. You're just gonna go over the top of it, and that includes a lot of different varieties of mid range decks. Like it includes all the death and taxes decks. It includes um, the maverick de- maverick decks. Um, any of the delver strategies. Any of like the big other yeah uh, miracles has felt run and six decks. I don't know what your experience with miracles has been, but it's. Most of their cards are kind of a joke against you, it's yeah. felt like. Your Miracles matchup is very good. They have, like, one end game where they win, and that's, like, you don't draw a lot of value creatures, and they resolve a Jace uncontested, mm-hmm. and then they can, you know, Jace away the game. But pretty much every other, like, way that the games play out, it, the matchup is just easy breezy, because yeah. you, all of your cards just draw extra cards, and they're, like, trying to, you know... <laughs> you're beating him down for like three or four every oh turn. yeah <laughs> watch it for tomorrow hits for two. Oh you're yeah like, oh no. my god this is so much <laughs> yeah. damage you're gonna have to get rid of this yeah. and it's then it's gonna give me this card that's really good yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i have discovered a couple of ways to lose for example to miracles okay i discovered that i could lose by playing a lauren okay resolving it through a counter spell with veil of summer yeah so i felt really good there oh yeah Play two, play my two value guys I've got left. Mm-hmm. Don't hit a Cavern Harpy. Sure. Pass. They end of turn flash in Monastery, Monastery Mentor. Mentor. Oh, no! <laughs> and then untap. 
predict, ponder, brainstorm, ponder, ponder. Yeah, that's that's a rough one. So I died yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah. Some it is it is double sided. Uh, something that is uh, you know kind of an unintuitive, but you definitely learn very quickly as yeah. the learn player that you know your savvy legacy opponents are going to be flashing in spells as well. The main problem there, the it being a double edged sword, the main scenario i've seen where that is actually a detriment and will come up you need to sequence around it is because you can't go off against plague engineer and so if they have one in hand you cannot combo right until you get rid of that plague engineer yeah plague engineer on beast beast or harpy it is a harpy beast yeah fair (laughs) but it says beast on the card so that's probably what they'll name right and, but luckily, you can typically, like, draw a bunch of cards until you find an abrupt K mm-hmm. in that scenario. You should be able to outvalue the almost any deck. Once you're right. casting free spell, free creatures, and they're casting free creatures, you should be heavily advantaged yeah. in that spot. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, I, I really love this deck because I think that we've built it in a way where, you know, we have all of our good matchups, and that's a pretty wide mm-hmm. portion of the field. And then the bad matchups are... Um, the combo decks mostly, but with the addition of the Cabal therapies um, in in the main deck, and then you have access to a couple extra disruptive pieces and like yeah. uh, force negations and um, just extra discard or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that you've got a reasonable. Shot you have a shot. Matchup. You're not cold, yeah. but it doesn't feel good still. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and that a lot of that is given the nature of cantrips and legacy. Mm-hmm. Like you can strip your opponent's hand pretty good. Yeah. But we're not putting on enough pressure that they can't like draw one relevant spell and then rip a cantrip, cast the cantrip to find the other thing that they need. Yeah. And then they're all of these combo decks yeah. are relatively low resource, you know. Yeah. You you have them at twelve and then they cast ad nauseum, they're probably <laughs> gonna win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah, typically your win states look like completely dismantling their hand with mm-hmm. like a, like maybe two Cabal Therapies or whatever. Yeah. But, but yeah, it can be rough. And it, there's a surprising amount of difference between hitting on your first Cabal Therapy and not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is yeah, true. You gotta you gotta get good if you if you want to play some Cabal Therapy. Oof. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I had one game where I hit double right of flame and felt really good about it. Yeah. But then my my Tess opponent just made 10 goblins on turn two anyways. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So it's a tough world out there for sure. <laughs> there are powerful cards in Legacy. Yes. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's like, this is something that I, I talked about last time when I like made my first foray into Legacy is there's just a lot of like scary stuff that can happen to you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's important to not, like, get intimidated by it, but you do need to be aware of the things that can happen to you early in the game. Whether it's, like, they have a Delver out, so their dazes are so good against me now, or what is the range of cards that my opponent can draw that just, you know, allow them to make 10 goblins or whatever. And Yeah. Not that you can do anything about that, necessarily, if you've already stripped them as best you can, but, (laughs) you know, maybe just to... Keep perspective on what's what yeah, could happen yeah. to you. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty tough to go from you know like no cards to a kill in like three turns in any other format. But in Legacy, yeah, it just happens. Yeah, I mean the the decks are just the combo decks are incredibly low resource. Right. That yeah. Especially once they have a few lands in play, and then yeah. yeah. So it's it's definitely a thing. Yep. Um. 
Yeah, so that's Aluren. Um, yeah. The other deck I've been primarily testing with has been uh, the Depths variants. Mm-hmm. Up until, like, this last Sunday, I was pretty confident that the Hogak Depths version was superior. Yeah. I've come around a little bit. Interesting. I think now that just the regular, more consistent Depths deck is better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the reason that I thought that the, the Hogak Depths deck was better before was that I had, like, really good tuned bu- builds of that deck. Mm-hmm. But people were still trying to figure out the best way to put in Elvish... Reclaimer. Reclaimer into the the old shells. Yeah. And now I think there's a much cleaner list that makes a lot more sense to me. Okay. And I've been playing a little bit with that and it's What do you think was the key to that list working? Or is it just a matter of like the numbers seem closer to right now? I yeah, I wouldn't really be able to tell you specifically, but okay. the numbers just make more sense and they're playing less stuff that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> What's the stuff that didn't make sense though? Like the it had like a bunch of Sylvan libraries. Okay, gotcha. Um, and then some uh, life from the loams and mm-hmm. just like other just like random stuff in there. Um, Those were main deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so that's the kind of grindy stuff that I would much right. prefer to have in post board right. games. Also, a lot of people were playing some number of Tarmogoyfs or Dark Confidants. Okay, and I really don't like Dark Confidant right now because it's rent six. Right, and then I was like, okay, if you're gonna play Tarmogoyf in this deck. Might as well just play Hogak. It's just way better. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, uh, yep. Yep. I, I definitely hear that. I mean, like, the Goyfs originally came about as they were, like, a transformational sideboard plan. You know, yeah. people go all in on disrupting your 2020, and then you just play a Goyf on turn two or a Bitter Blossom on turn two. Right. And then yeah. their cards don't work against that. Yeah. It makes less sense to me in the main deck where, like, Tarmogoyf is still a part of Legacy, and people know they have to beat Tarmogoyfs with their main deck. Yeah. So. Yeah. Not not super into that right. idea. Yeah. And just, you know, a lot of Abrupt Decay is flying around right now. Feels yeah. like. Abrupt Decay is insane right now. Yeah. yeah. Really, really good. So, yeah. And so now with the consistency of regular depths and Elvis Reclaimer, I just think that that deck might be the best deck okay. in the format right now. But it, definitely a couple of options for me. I could play, I think I've narrowed it down to Aluren, Depths, or. <laughs> Will Pulliam got me on this one last night a little bit. Black Red Reanimator. Yeah. I mean, probably the highest just raw power level of any deck in the format. Just yeah. the things it can do on turn one are yeah insane. I'd say about 35% of the time, maybe more, you're putting a Grizzlebrand into play on turn one. That's a, real, that's a solid percentage yeah. of the time. Yeah. Very, very high percentage of the time. And then it's full of free disruptive spells, so you kind of can't lose after you do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. You know, if you draw a bunch of cards, you just unmask your opponent's hand away and they lose. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you leave them with a Knight of the Reliquary. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess I can leave you with that. Right. Or maybe even not. Like, I don't want you to croc in this thing anytime <laughs> soon, so let's get that out of here. Well, they're dead long before <laughs> they untap with a Knight of the Reliquary. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, sure. yeah. That deck and kind of the idea there is that the whole format has slowed down just enough where... Not a lot of people are really fighting on the axis as much mm-hmm. uh, of just like being super prepared for somebody doing something on turn one. Yeah. Now most people are worried about like you know a turn three dark depths or you know uh, ad nauseum tendrils is typically you're safe for the first like turn or so. Mm-hmm. But you know this deck is very good at being like all right thought sees you kill you like every every game it's just like all right thought sees you kill you or uh, chancellor of the annex kill you or yeah. unmask you kill you and I think. 
that the thing the deck cares about most rather than necessarily just the speed of the format is like the raw numbers of surgical extractions and people's sideboards very low right now yeah so that's to me that's a big selling point yeah for i deck. had uh in uh, most of my decks i've been running two surgicals in the sideboard mm -hmm. but i've I even like cut that down to one at some point. It's just not that good against um, anything else. Yeah, everything else, like you know, even even deaths, you're just not. It, that's kind of like the one deck where I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll probably want a surgical extraction or something. Mm -hmm. But it's just not that great there, even. Yeah, um, it's not very good against uh, nauseum tendrils. It's just so easy to play around. Yeah, it's just it's really just reanimator that you want it for. Yeah, um, and that that makes you want to cheat on it, and then that makes reanimator much more attractive yeah so i i could definitely see i mean it looked impressive mm -hmm. when you were playing it last you know you yeah. played against a couple of like green decks and it just like <laughs> made them look very silly yeah. yeah i i was a little lower on the deck initially i was like okay this deck is you know it's like i could see why it's well positioned and mm -hmm. it can do powerful things but i think this deck just fundamentally isn't like that strong just like in the metagame i think and I guess it's hard to quantify what I really mean because it, obviously it's a obviously deck. raw power level yeah. very high, but it's just not a deck that I expect to be able to have a very large win percentage because you're just gonna peter out and do nothing for some matchups, mm -hmm. or you're just gonna lose to your opponent's hate for some matchups. Sure. So it's like you know for those reasons I expect the the deck's win percentage not to be that much higher than like you know 55 or 60 or whatever. And and I was worried about just losing too many times that were just completely outside of my control. But I just, like, easily won the first four matches that I played with yep. it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, maybe maybe it just is consistent enough, especially in London. Well, yeah, um, and that's the thing is, like, you know, we've talked about... when we haven't had a major legacy tournament to sort of test this London Mulligan mm -hmm. world yet. Uh, so this this might be interesting. It'll be a team event, so it'll be a little disguised, and maybe we won't really understand what's going on until Syracuse. But in modern, Tron... Tron isn't running cantrips. It isn't running hand fixing besides just like cycling stuff. Yeah. And and it operates really well if it has the right cards in its opening hand. Yeah. So its win percentage goes up by a disproportionate amount compared to how other decks benefit from the London Mulligan. Phoenix, Blue-Red Phoenix becomes a lot worse because your cantrips and stuff that made you kind of never have to mulligan and always kind of do the same thing, that gap ends up getting closed by the London Mulligan. Right. In Legacy... The cantrips are more powerful, so it's probably still worth being a cantrip deck. But you still have kind of that fundamental thing going where the gap between the no cantrip decks and the cantrip decks, that consistency gap, still closes thanks to the London Mulligan. Yeah, for sure. I could totally see Black Red Reanimator becoming like a breakout deck. and like Not that it's unknown or hasn't done well in tournaments before, but I can see it like oh no, now this deck is much more consistent and it is a, it's becoming a problem. Yeah. Like, that wouldn't surprise me. I remember this like brief time period on Magic Online where they had the London Mulligan implemented on Magic Online so that people could test for that Pro Tour. But they had to implement it for every format. And they did. And Legacy, there was like, this really brief window where everybody was like, wow, Blackbird Reanimator must be nuts. So mm -hmm. everybody played it. And then as a response to that, in that time frame, everybody started playing Graveyard Hate. Yep. So the deck became unplayable, and nobody played it. And then, and then Legacy evolved with the London Mulligan. Mm -hmm. But right now, 
it feels like people kind of like got over that they're like not worried about black red reanimator so now not many people are playing a ton of graveyard hate which might oh, mean man. that people just forgot about it can i <laughs> i wonder if i can find a reanimator deck <laughs> for richmond yeah reanimator is really nice especially for newer legacy players because you get to play legacy through this like pretty specific lens of mm-hmm. the only thing i care about in this format is what interacts with my deck yeah um which yeah is i neat. never have to do things with an opponent an opposing gta in play <laughs> like that's not a concern <laughs> sure like yeah. i don't need to like figure out my game plan in time to beat this true name nemesis clocking like none of that is a thing jace right. doesn't matter yeah. like get your gristle brand in play and you have training wheels because you get to thought seize them all the time <laughs> yeah yeah so right if anybody's like trying to looking for like a you know a deck to tip their dip their toes into uh legacy yeah definitely i think black Man is a, a good deck to do that with just because you know you're gonna learn the format by playing it you yeah. know you'll start to see what else is out there and everything but in terms of just like knowing what to do you're going to thought seize your opponent and you're going to take the card that interacts with you mm-hmm. and you get to ignore everything else. Yeah. So. And then you're going to draw 14 cards with Gristle Brand. Yeah. Sometimes seven if you cast actual reanimate. Yeah. 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 I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, reanimator sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. The, it's, the deck is really cold to the ley line. Sure. It's, I mean, cause all of your disruption that is supposed to get through all of your like counter disruption is like hand disruption. Yeah. So you're trying to like thought seize away their surgical extractions and stuff like that. And if there's a lot um, in play, you just yeah, it's it becomes very hard. Um, I, I do like Zan's idea of your leyline oh, hate your leyline yeah. response being puts sideboard into sneak attacks. Yeah, sneak attacks has been a thing that reanimated decks have sideboarded. They've also just like splashed blue for show and tell sure. as like their sideboard plan that yep. ignores the graveyard. I've seen a lot of that. I think that the the person who's been trying to popularize the deck has been has E.W. Landon. Uh, he's one of the trophy leaders mm-hmm. for Magic Online. Uh, he's been doing a lot of work with that deck. I just played against him like thirty minutes ago. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he, I think his current plan seems to be uh, having a bunch of like enchantment removal on the sideboard. Yeah, uh, which is like fine because you don't your sideboard doesn't need to do a ton it it just specifically right. needs to answer the things that you are weak against you don't need to answer their assertive game plan yeah you need to answer your game plan is faster and more powerful as long as it comes together so right. you need to answer their answers yeah so you know so that so that is an option as well yeah i'm not really sure i think that that's probably the next deck i'm going to put a lot of work into trying to like optimize mm-hmm um, I think everybody else is working on depths, and I can just play, you know, what the, the good what yeah. the good depths list is if that's the route I take. But yeah. I mean, I I had to, you know, I put a lot of work into Lauren, and I think that the list I ended up with is great. And I think that I will put a similar amount of work into uh, Reanimator just to see where I can take it. Yeah, and find the plans that I like. And the nice thing is, like, all of this work that we're doing carries over to Syracuse. So you know, true, because Legacy moves but stuff yeah. you learn a couple of weeks ago in legacy usually at least has some cachet going yeah, forward yeah, yeah, for, so, sure. for sure so like that's one of the reasons that i am putting time and thought into legacy for richmond is i'm planning on trying to make it to syracuse and would like to have an idea of what i'm doing when i get there so right yep cool all right so what else what have we missed so far i played a league with humans 
Yeah. It was not good. What was Sad. what is the concept of legacy humans? I guess you add in Mother <clears throat> of Runes. You get to play Mother of Runes and like some of the tutors I get. It's pretty You're just really hoping that Folly is great. I yeah, guess. It, you just want your disruptive elements to line up well. It, it's, it's just the same deck as the modern humans deck, yeah. mostly. You get to play Sanctum Prelate, which is really good. Sure. Palace Jailer. And I saw a couple of people put results up with it, like at 7-1 to challenge or something, mm. which is kind of cool. But after playing it, I think that your your good matchups are really, really good. And you have a lot of good matchups. Mm-hmm. And you toast those matchups. Like okay. any Delver deck, you're just going to run over. Make uh, their spells more expensive and you have more value than them and they just yeah. get beat yeah. up. That um, makes sense. But you... Miracles is really tough. and Terminus seems... Yeah. Uh, Terminus in a Brainstorm Ponder deck seems it's unbeatable. Just, it's like surprisingly hard to lock out Terminus. Yeah. Uh, or uh, just that deck in general. They have like a lot of different things going on. Right. Um, and then uh, your your combo decks are... Your combo matchups are surprisingly bad because you're just like not doing anything until turn two. Yeah. Um, and the combo decks are so much faster them. in Legacy than yeah. they are than like st- modern storm is or something right. like that yeah so you know your thalias are like nice and everything but um just not good yeah enough. it's just kind of tough yeah i mean thalia is a great card yeah in legacy oh for sure absolutely but your yeah. other cards need to be faster disruption like thought seizes or or mm-hmm. something like that yeah. that that allow you to not get sneak attacked or whatever is going on <laughs> right, right yeah so, yeah, so I, you know, just, like, too many matchups that were, and too many cards. I, I found myself losing to a lot of, like, single cards with that deck. Mm-hmm. Like, somebody played a Back to Basics, and I was just like, oh, all my lands are Ancient Ziggurats and Cavern of <laughs> Souls and stuff. And I was like, okay. If only I were playing Death and Taxes and had four planes in play. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, and, and that's that's also one thing to talk about a little bit you know we talked about ren and six's effect on the lands of the format Mm -hmm. and how it has you know there's a lot of wastelands being played i haven't played against a single cloud post deck those are dead they're just dead yeah there's too many wastelands i think ren and six yeah just kind of pushed them out yeah and you just can never you can barely beat a wasteland and you can never beat a ren and six wasteland so yeah um, another thing that Ren and Six has pushed out because it does a different broken thing is if your deck really leans on one toughness creatures, uh, Ren and Six is a problem. And so for the Aluren deck, Ren and Six can be kind of annoying, but there's enough value that losing your guys to the pings, you can sort of grind through the three pings of a Ren and Six. Yeah. When you're playing Flicker Wisps <laughs> or when you're playing <laughs> Lanoir Elves. Right. It becomes a much more serious problem. Yeah. Uh, especially if it's out of a Delver deck and like you have all these creatures and you're trying to like vomit them out on the table and they go turn one bolt your guy, turn two run and six, kill your guy. Now I have my value engine in play and I've killed two of your guys. It's, it's, I, it's, I think it's really pushing those like one butt creature decks out of the format as well. Yeah. yeah um, I think the elves actually does pretty fine against run and six decks. Okay. But kind of only because they're so extraordinarily explosive that like one removal spell is like fine to fight through. Mm-hmm. If you're you know if you're like bolting something on turn one and then you have a in six and then yeah. it's like another just sure that's hard. But um, typically elves can be super explosive and Ren and six decks are just fundamentally pretty clunky. Um, Ren and six on the play is still pretty bonkers there though. Yeah, no, for sure. But yeah, I definitely on the draw, if you don't have the bolt and they go turn one Lanowar Elves pass, mm-hmm. then you go ponder, then you could yeah. be in a lot of trouble. Right. 
but yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's having a large impact on the format. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, both halves of that card are extremely powerful and put pressures on the format that you have to respond to. And I think, you know, playing a deck like Reanimator that fundamentally doesn't care about getting Wastelanded most of the time. Yeah. Sometimes you get Wasteland locked out of the game if your hand was clunky and, you know, etc. But your primary plan doesn't care about Wasteland at all and certainly doesn't care about recurring Wastelands uh, and doesn't care about pings. Um, you know, yeah. choosing a deck in those categories or, you know, like Aluren, we're going to fetch five basics out yeah. and then I'm going to cast this Aluren with days mana up. <laughs> right. And not be Wastelanded. Yeah. Attacking the format in a way that Ren and Six is not bonkers against you, I think, is a really important part of this legacy format. I agree. And I know that somebody was pointing out yesterday, like, there aren't, as I think Will was saying, like, there don't seem to be as many Ren and Sixes online right now as there were, like, a week ago or so. I don't think that's relevant for an open. I, I expect there to be a lot of Ren and Six decks in, in Richmond. Yeah. Specifically, for sure. Um, you know, it's, like, the new exciting card that everybody is going to practice a lot with mm-hmm. starting, you know, like maybe if the, if the majority of people are like starting this week to test, um, it's going to be like one of their starting points mm-hmm. um, and probably one of their ending points. For yep. sure, so, and if you paid $360 for a set of run and sixes, like gotta play them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, one dual land or whatever, but yeah, still, yeah I mean, it, it is legacy. This dumbass format. <laughs> Yeah. This is the only format where card availability has, like, a pretty significant effect on my deck choice and stuff. Like, I just don't want to go through the effort of trying to find, you know, a Delver deck that's all dual lands. Mm -hmm. I I just don't. Like, I don't know that I could. And even if I could, it would take a lot of scrounging around and asking and a lot of work (laughs) it's just a lot of work and i am not really into that and i don't own these duels and i'm not planning on it and it's i mean like that's a very real part of the format and a very real reason why we don't get to play very much legacy and i've really been enjoying playing legacy it's really fun i will say that for people who aren't like you know only playing magic to like go to paper tournaments and stuff like that legacy accessibility and vintage accessibility is through the roof right now for online play yeah um, oh yeah. If you have a rental service, you know you pretty much have access to everything, and it's it's been great to just be able to play whatever. Yeah. Um, Dual lands mostly cost a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Ren and six is by far the most expensive card in the format. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because I think forces are only like thirty or something like that. They've done a lot to like all of the all of the legacy cards that are that we know as like super expensive mm-hmm. for paper are dirt cheap on Magic Online. Yeah. So uh, a lot of legacy decks are like you know three hundred tickets right. for something. And looking at like on MTG Goldfish or whatever, looking at like the price differential because it lists paper. It's, it's ridiculous. It, it's like all, most of the decks are like five thousand dollars. Yeah. Three hundred dollars, well under ten yeah. percent right. of the cost. Yeah. yeah, I mean it is wonderful, and I've really been enjoying playing Legacy. And yeah. a lot of my matches have been like really back and forth and really fun. And I've yes. lost because of mistakes that I've made. And yeah. if I had played, you know, and it, this isn't me playing perfectly, as in oh, if I had known what was in my opponent's hand, it's just if I had played more optimally given what my opponent 
could have or was representing, yeah. I would have won that match. Like mm-hmm. it was, it's been my fault that I've lost a lot of the time. No, absolutely, and that's been my experience as well. Is that you lose pretty much every time I lose a match or just a game, even I'm like, okay, if I had done this at this point in the game, I probably would have won. Yeah, and that doesn't always happen, but it's kind of a cozy feeling when it does because a you know you get to like learn from it mm-hmm. and be like wow this you know i like had a shot yeah. at that game you know even though things were like going so far against me or whatever you know it's it's kind of cool yeah i'm um, down to like your first decision you make every match is what land to play and what land to fetch and that can be make or break <laughs> yeah yeah you definitely you can't afford to get those wrong i've i've gotten basics to try to play around wasteland and stuff mm-hmm. and then at one point been like well i can't double spell this turn because one of these lands is a forest i yeah. kind of screwed that up right and then i've also aired the other way and gone for duels and then my opponent who i was not expecting to have back to basics just locks me out with back to basics <laughs> oh no or or I, I haven't gotten locked out with, by back to basics but i have had to like pass with abrupt decay mana up sure because yeah, yeah. i was like oh crap uh, yeah i'm gonna get gonna be annoying. yeah yeah and uh learning to play around wasteland is surprise it's more difficult than you would expect because you know the default scenario is yeah it, you know you just want to fetch all basics and not have to worry about it mm-hmm. but sometimes you draw a certain number of dual lands so you're gonna be forced into playing those lands anyways and in a lot of those scenarios you actually go all in don't want to fetch basics right because that'll be bad because if you know if all of a sudden your only green source is this duel and they waste that one mm-hmm then you don't have any green and you would have been better off like getting wasted a little earlier in the game, but still having access to all the colors. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I mean, there's a lot to it. There is, there is. And it's definitely something that I'm learning and adjusting to. And hopefully not to mention the difficulty of casting the cantrips in the format. (laughs) There's just, there's a lot to that. (laughs) There is a lot. And, And you definitely, I've definitely, you know, drawn one of the cards off of a ponder and then shuffled away the other two and then three turns later been like i really needed the second card off of that ponder didn't i and yeah you just realize it too late and yeah it is very complex mm-hmm. yeah you know sequencing your brainstorms mm-hmm. um there's been whole articles written on that <laughs> yes yeah. it's pretty tough and i will go there and make it look like i've not read a single one of them <laughs> at least for a couple of my matches i'm sure but i will yeah. well you i mean you played a lot of cantrips x in modern now which is yeah you know a lot of skills translate so yeah and i'm getting there though like fetchland interaction is much mm-hmm. more of a thing in legacy than it, it is. is in mo- yeah. uh, modern the fetchland interaction is usually fetch before you cast your ambitions right right um in legacy it's much more complex but yeah. also very rewarding to get it right absolutely you know, like I had that one game that you saw part of where I had valued out my Miracles opponent. They had nothing, and then they Miracle and Treat the Angels. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I was definitely dead on board, but I had just been sandbagging my brainstorms forever because I had all of the stuff that I needed. There was no reason to cast them, I, and I was sandbagging brainstorms, and I had a fetch. And I was just like, well, if something bad happens, I can do this. And then something really bad happened. <laughs> right. So then I got seven looks at an Aluren, mm-hmm. cast the Aluren, and won the game. Yeah, nice. <laughs> so when when the things work out the way that you were like visualizing them, it does feel really good. Yeah, the best brainstorm is the brainstorm you never cast. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's a safe feeling. Yeah. Like, I really have a... Whatever happens, I have a chance of finding the thing that I need. Right. That's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Cool. Well, should we just hit up our Patreon question and yeah, let that wrap us up? I think that that's a good plan. Cool. All right. So Alan asks, how do you go about trying to determine what your opponent has in hand during a game? More specifically, how do you recognize play patterns over the course of multiple turns to judge what your opponent may have? Yeah, so... Big big question. Pretty big question, for sure. I I almost want to like write an article about this, because I, I love this stuff. Yeah. Um, well, and this is like... This is almost the game. If you know yeah. what cards are in your opponent's hand... Right. Like, if, if you just had like a free peek every turn, mm-hmm. I think you're like 80% to win any given match. No, for sure. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, part of being good at magic is finding the, the, the secret peaks mm-hmm. where there are sometimes some things that your opponents do that tell you for like 100% that they have a certain card in their hand. Yeah. Or sometimes more, re- more realistically, there are things that your opponents do that tell you 100% that they don't have a certain card in their hand. And I want examples. Give me some examples if you got any. Well, I mean, I have some like generally broad examples of like, say if you... If you play like a turn and then your opponent goes into their turn and you're really worried about them doing a certain thing because mm-hmm. it would be just the best card that they could have in that scenario. Right. And they would certainly cast that card that turn. My board is empty. We're going into your fourth turn. You're about to play your fourth land and Jace just beats the crap out of me here. Right. And then they don't play it. Yeah. And they don't have it. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that is like pretty simple. You know, like, and if they, like, don't remove their creature when they obviously needed to or would have, then Mm -hmm. they don't have any removal spells. Yep. It's much easier to determine what your opponent doesn't have than what they do have. But that distinct, you know, figuring out what they don't have can be super informative. You, You know, if you can, you know, go through scenarios and see spots in the game where, like, if my opponent had this specific card that I'm thinking about, they would have done it right here. And if you can find those spots and then your opponent doesn't, cast that card when they have the opportunity to you can kind of like check that off mentally and say like okay i don't really have to worry about that for at least a couple of you know draw steps and if they rip it on you after you've made that assumption of like all right they don't have any removal spells i'm gonna go in on this plan and then they rip a removal spell sure that feels bad but you know right you shouldn't play around the top of your opponent's deck yeah most and I, of the time. I mean that that's just going back to the like risk reward yeah. part of magic mm-hmm. Did, could I afford to play around this removal spell? How much did it cost me? What were the odds that they did have it? I'm right. confident that they don't have it. They've had two draw steps. Is it important for me to play around it at this point? Yeah. If it doesn't cost you anything, then you can, even though you were confident that they didn't have it before. Yeah. But the odds aren't that high that they have it. So yeah. if it gives you anything, right. playing around it is good. Or not playing around it is good. Yeah. Um, in order to determine if your opponent has like a specific card in their hand, a lot of the time what you're looking to identify are like like slightly awkward play patterns that aren't that usual that mm-hmm. seem to be playing into a specific plan mm-hmm. of like all right if my opponent is doing this thing that kind of like is making me scratch my head a little bit and feels a little weird but it would make sense if they are doing that because they're going to do this other thing you can probably put them on that card mm-hmm. i don't know if i'm going to be able to come up with like a specific example for that but you know, just that just comes down to the pattern recognition of like, oh, this pattern looks familiar and it typically ends in my opponent doing this. Then you can be like, okay, I can assume that they have that in their hand and I need to play accordingly. Does that make sense? Yeah. Explain that. Reasonably? Yeah. Well, and the examples I'm thinking of are bad. Okay. Because I'm thinking like, well, my opponent brainstormed and then they pondered and shuffled. 
And that to me says they don't have a fetch land in their hand because, sure. you know, the yeah. the normal powerful play pattern there is brainstorm fetch. Yeah. Of course, they just cast another cantrip, so who knows what's going to happen. But they did ponder and shuffle, so they're only up one card. So they're yeah. unlikely to have at least another fetch land in their hand if yeah. that's the thing that you're thinking about there. Definitely. And that the fact that they don't have another fetch land in their hand, given the way that the format is constructed, means it's not super likely that they have another land at all sure so that could inform your plays going forward absolutely yeah and i think that like the rest of all of that goes into just human tells yeah um that you know your opponents tell you a lot more than you realize when they're sitting across the table from you um kind of everybody does and you know everybody just has those kind of tells and Mm -hmm. it's really hard to describe how to pick up on them specifically but you just kind of develop that over a lot of time playing the game yeah i mean i tend to pay too much attention to my cards and my board and sort of what's going on in play and stuff and i don't pay enough attention to opponent tells Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean i think that the top things to look out for are those slightly weird sequences give your opponents enough credit that they're not just making bad plays yeah if they make slightly weird sequences or like fetch kind of odd lands or something like that figure out why they would have done that right and that's important and then honestly where they pause is just like a big deal if yeah. they're thinking about casting a spell after combat and then they pass the turn mm-hmm. what is that do they have another creature and they're playing around your wrath do they have a threat that they don't want to run into the counter spell that you're representing that means that it's a good threat in the matchup and you need to like understand keep holding up that counter spell <laughs> yeah yeah or yeah. at least keep <laughs> representing it or whatever right. yeah yeah, yeah. That's all information. Those, if your opponent is thinking, probably good to think. What are they thinking about? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you mentioned pauses. Mm-hmm. That's really important for tells on Magic Online, especially mm-hmm. where you know you don't get that like interaction with people, but you get to see when they have priority yeah. and hold it for a while. And I just I just know every time when my opponent has a force of will. Yeah, <laughs> because they they like consider at least for a little bit what my spells you know just like what's going on yeah um and even in person like you know people who aren't really thinking about that kind of thing i'm just gonna know if you have a force wheel in your hand yeah because you know the way that i'm gonna cast my spells is gonna you know be like you know if if you're thinking about it then and the only way to defeat this and i'm not saying that i do this (laughs) the only way to defeat this is to think beforehand what are the spells my opponent could play this turn that i'm willing to force yes yeah And that can only come with, like, if you haven't focus tested that matchup, you probably can't do that, honestly. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have to have a lot of experience to to be able to um, do stuff like that well. And honestly, reading into and hiding, like, your personal tells is kind of something that you shouldn't worry about for sequencing is you know more important if you know you you do there's so much to learn like of like the actual game of magic the gathering that like this is like another thing that you know if you want to put some effort into it because you find it interesting and fun you know definitely go for it i think that's the category i fall into but it's not it's not like a hugely important thing because you know your tells not not many people are really really looking out for like the the smallest ones that you're not going to be able to hide very well so 
don't worry about it for the most part and just like try to maintain a poker face and if you're costing yourself mental energy that is like taking away from your properly sequencing your cantrips because you're trying to like hide what is in your hand you're losing more percentage points than you're gaining that right yeah for sure but you know if you really enjoy it and want to look at your opponent's eyes and look at what they're looking (laughs) on the board go for it i love that stuff that's i i love that I, I don't I don't actually love it, but I think it's hilarious that Arena has that built in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. like, sometimes I'll see, like, my graveyard glowing, and I'll be like, my opponent's got Command the Dread Horde, and then right. I play around Command the Dread Horde for the rest of the game. Sure, yeah. No, it's good. It's a good time. Cool. Well, that was a Legacy episode. Nice. Great. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, we will continue playing more Legacy, and I'm pretty excited for Richmond. I think this should be a lot of fun. Same. Cool. Um, thanks, everybody, for coming and hanging out with us. Thanks, everybody, for joining us live in the chat. Mason, if you're still there, really appreciate the host. And yep. anybody who came from Mason's stream, welcome. This is the MTG Grandcast. Yes. To everyone who has supported us on Patreon, we really, really appreciate it. If you would like to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash Grandcast, and we will get you some swag, get you an invite to the Discord. And you can also find us on mtggrindcast.com. We've got all of our episodes there. We've got links to the Patreon. We've got links to Collins' coaching services. Soon, what I hope to do, Collins, you're doing at, at least for each tournament week and then maybe a little more frequently than that, depending on what you're doing and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I didn't do one for last weekend, mm-hmm. mostly because I was playing a deck I'd already, already written up a thing on. Right. But yeah. Yeah, so so Collins is doing weekly write-ups of the decks he's been prepping for tournaments, mm-hmm. and so there will at least be an Alluren one and a Deaths one, and yeah. maybe even a uh, Reanimator one. Cool for this weekend. Well, so that's be fun. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Holy crap. So yeah, so that's that's one of the tiers. Um, what I'm planning on doing is sort of taking after the SCG premium thing, where after a certain amount of time, I'm going to post those write-ups on the website. We will. We definitely want our patron, patrons to get the, you know, initial benefit of them, and then after, I'm not sure what the fairest uh, amount of time is, but we will start posting them kind of in article form on the website. And once we start doing that, I'll I'll let everybody know so you can head over there and see those. But yeah, so visit our website for that. You can also find us on social media. I am tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast, and the podcast Twitter is at MTG underscore Grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter at Collins Bond. And that's really it for us. Thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate it. And have a great week. Peace.